Welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian Van Vactor, and I am filling in for Dave Robson as he's out of country. I'm co-hosting today. This is a weekday Bible answer program. We do this every Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We are live streaming from Tucson, Arizona. Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson and in studio with me today is Pastor Bo Olette. Hey, Adrian. It's good to see you again. Again. Second day in a row. Woohoo! But now I have uh, now I have this guy on my right. We have Mr. Encyclopedia over here. That's right. And that is Sean Richards over there. For those of you who are maybe new and haven't met the whole crew just yet, but uh, how you doing, Sean? I'm okay. I had a unknown origin, but definitely caused lower back injury. So we're figuring out whether to let uh, heat and time heal all wounds or to see a doctor about this. But so far, I haven't fallen unconscious. So, you know, you're a such plus. a young guy, too. It's, a, you know, when I hear of a young guy like that having back problems, I'm like, what's the deal, man? Mm. Yeah, I mean, what are you, 28? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Stop counting after I turn 21. <clears throat> That's the only time you'll hear Sean say, I guess. If it's a theological <laughs> question, there's almost absolute certainty. Almost. Uh, <laughs> almost. <clears throat> well, we're so glad to be here. Uh, this is a live stream program. It started uh, over 20 years ago as a radio call-in show and has now evolved into a live stream. We live stream to multiple platforms where people can join live, ask their questions about the Bible, about the Christian worldview, about world religions, uh, all the things that might come into play in those topics. Uh, we are a uh, evangelical Christian church, I guess you could say, so our perspective is that the Christian faith uh, is true, <laughs> and the Bible is inspired, uh, uh, the, the Word of God, the inspired revelation from God, <clears throat> and that Jesus is the culmination of God's revelation to humanity, God in human form, and so, and all the things that go with the Christian message. So, if that's something that you are intrigued about, maybe you were raised in a Christian home but never took, or maybe you are a believer and would like to clarification on a specific passage of scripture or maybe uh, some doctrinal <clears throat> question that you might have, please chime in. There are multiple ways you can do that. You can join us, first of all, on Facebook. Go to facebook.com. If you have an, a, a Facebook account, you can join us. If you go to our page, which is at CCF Tucson, go to our page, join the live stream, and then simply make a comment and ask your question and we'll engage with those questions in real time as we get them. We don't always get to everyone's question, but we will do our best to do that. If you don't want to be on Facebook or if you just are one of those folks that have never, um, if you're under 40 and you don't have a Facebook account, then you can join us on YouTube and you can uh, follow us there as well. We monitor both comments during the live stream. If you do follow us on any of these social media platforms, please like, share, comment, and of course, if you're on YouTube, subscribe, hit that notification bell so that you know when we go live. And if you come across an issue or something that pertains to faith, morality, culture, and would like to know what the Bible has to say or what the Christian worldview, how it would shed light on a particular subject, then leave us a question. Our YouTube handle is at a reason for hope 546. If you go to YouTube, we also archive this program on Rumble. We haven't quite got to the place where we're live streaming there yet, but uh, if the powers that be uh, suggest that we are saying things that aren't uh, good for YouTube or Facebook, then <laughs> we'll have our program on Rumble, 
And if you prefer to be there <clears throat> and want to watch uh, archived episodes of this program, we do have them categorized by the three main questions of each episode. Simply go to Rumble, look for A Reason for Hope, and if you wouldn't mind following us, we would really appreciate it. We want to grow our audience there, again, with the whole goal of reaching as many people as we can with the truth of the gospel. I got a question about Rumble. Do it. Now, Rumble is a, uh, it's a video platform, I take it. And is that like, is it, um, is, is it kind of like a YouTube? Yep. <clears throat> yeah, it's a competitor for YouTube, for sure. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. People, I, so you can archive your videos and, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm kind of that middle-aged guy like you, Adrian, where it's like you start losing touch with what <laughs> what platform's doing what. <clears throat> yeah, uh, Rumble is really a, a, a response to, in a sense, the clamping down of content and the increased security on content moderation on YouTube. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so Rumble yeah. really came to rise in popularity because there was so much censorship beginning to brew and rumble is supposedly a place where people can have a little bit more freedom to express their opinions without being clamped down yeah uh, where <clears throat> what we enjoy as americans in terms of freedom of speech is mirrored on platforms like rumble whereas in other places if i say things that may not be true according to some youtube has the prerogative to just take my video away sure yeah and uh so they stood out more than others because there are other YouTube alternative <coughs> competitors, but Rumble demonstrated their willingness to stand by hosting a video that the French government demanded they take down and basically losing all the revenue and ad support from France, like the whole thing, in order to stay true to their bylaws. Of course, they have had controversies with uh, David Wood and others because of false flaggings, but for the most part, they've shown themselves to be a willing to stand on controversial terms, which we thrive on here. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's a growing platform. It's not quite as robust and doesn't have quite the history that YouTube has, but um, for the time being, there's a lot of content creators who will say things on YouTube and say, before I, say, before I give you the answer, just remember that I can't say it here on YouTube, but if you watch me over on Rumble, yeah, yeah, you can hear before. the rest of it. Okay, got it, <laughs> got it. <clears throat> So that's the places where you can actually catch our program. And if you don't want to be on social media, uh, I know a lot of folks, uh, a lot of my younger friends who are believers who would love to be a part of the program in terms of asking questions, but just say, I deleted my Facebook account a long time ago. I don't care to go anywhere. And I certainly don't want to ask a question where my profile name is going to appear. Um, if that's you, then just go to our website. You can go to Calvary Christian Fellowship Dot com. That's calvarychristianfellowship.com. And just hit the Watch Live tab. <clears throat> and then you can watch not only this program, but all of our services. We stream our services, uh, three services on Sundays, and of course our Oasis services on Wednesday evenings. And we are a church that teaches book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So if you want to, let's say, go through a study of 1 Corinthians or 2 Timothy, and you want to go through the entire book, well, you can actually do that with our senior pastor because they teach through the entire book. And so <clears throat> we have all our archives available, over 20 years of messages through the entire Bible. And so you can, I think there's only a couple books that we actually don't have archived that we've taught through, but just about every book of the Bible is available. 
almost like a commentary. <clears throat> so I'd really encourage you to check that out and go to our website, <clears throat> hit that watch live stat tab. You can not only comment and ask questions during this Bible Answer Q&A program, uh, but uh, you can even make a prayer request. And we have a big prayer chain, so if you uh, have a, a, an immediate pressing prayer need, then please feel free to ask. We also have an app that you can download for our community. So if you're a member here and you haven't had a chance to download the app, please do so. You can go to the iTunes or Google Play Store. And on this app, you can uh, connect with people in our community, start your own chat groups, uh, keep up to date on current events on, on what's going on here at CCF, as well as a nifty little digital Bible where you can take notes and highlight and, uh, and of course, watch messages and archives and go through sermons and things like that. So I'd really encourage you to check that out. You can also add our live stream, our services, to your Amazon and Roku devices. So if you have a Roku or an Amazon Fire product, Go and look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson and add our channel to your lineup and you can watch our Sunday morning services or Wednesday evening services in this program there as well. Finally, if you want to ask a question and you don't want to necessarily put it in the public eye and would prefer to just email it to us the old-fashioned way, <laughs> you can do so by simply writing us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questions for hope all spelled out with letters at gmail.com for those of you listening in on the radio. And uh, finally, I'd encourage you to follow our senior pastor, Scott Richards, on Twitter. And that's at Scott R4H. At Scott R4H. I always have a hard time. That's kind of a tongue twister uh, saying that. Scott R4H. Yeah, just, yeah, it gets me. And that was set up, <laughs> that was set up years and years ago when the show was called Scott Richards Live. So that's why it's a little bit of an interesting uh, R4H. Yeah, he probably, you know. uh, yeah, I, I changed my handle once too. And it yeah. ruined all my links. I had to go and like fix everything yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bible but questions. But it's, a, yeah, it's still functioning though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we encourage you to check him out uh, on Twitter. There's a really interesting Twitter feed. And plus Twitter is another platform where we just feel there's a little semblance of freedom there, and so it's uh, exciting. I'd, I'd encourage you, if you don't have a Twitter account, to go sign one up and uh, join join the community and, and start talking. But you can tweet your questions there, and we can get them there as well. Before we begin, uh, we're going to pick up on a couple questions we missed yesterday. Uh, before we do that, though, uh, Sean, would you grace us with a moment of prayer? Okay. Thanks. Thank you, Dad, that we have the chance to be here. We invite you to be here as well. Speak through Bo and I and allow your word mm -hmm. to go forth in spirit and in truth as you always intend it to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So what's the questions? So yesterday we had uh, someone ask about Juneteenth. Since Juneteenth was yesterday, June 19th, they call it Juneteenth. And they wanted to know if Juneteenth was something of a, like, a cult. And so the question was worded this way, and it was from... Um, Huye, I think. Is Juneteenth a pagan holiday? Uh, why don't certain people, <clears throat> people like this holiday? Uh, does it tie in with the LGBTQ or summer solstice? Thanks. No, um, the, the Juneteenth is basically centered around the, one of the many passing laws of legislation in United States history, very recent history, like 1865 history. Um, again, not the only legislation that caused uh, 
so basically uh, the emancipation of slaves, but the recognition of people across the ethnic aisle, specifically black Americans, to be worthy of all civil rights. Now, of course, this was not a battle that ended there, nor was it a battle that started there, but they selected this holiday in particular in order to draw attention to the history of slavery in the United States. That's why people tend to not be in favor of it, because instead of presenting solutions, it tends to stir up old wounds. Now, when it comes to the Christian relevance and biblical relevance, we'll address it all in the program because of one title in particular that they give to this day, and they refer to it as Jubilee Day, which is of Jewish origin, but is seriously inaccurate. Uh, Bo, not to put you on the spot or anything, but for for, uh, those who are listening at home, what what was the year of Jubilee, and why would that be different from a legal emancipation of slaves for good in the United States? Well, let me just, like, run, let me just remember what the year of Jubilee was. I mean, that's back in the Old Testament um, of your Bibles out there, Uh, so you might have heard it before, but they had celebrations, and, and the year of Jubilee was one of where people were set free from their, um, if you will, uh, it's called slavery in the Bible, but it's almost like their, their work, you know, their being, debts, their debts. Yeah. So their debts are, um, released at a certain time every 50 years. That's right. On the year of Jubilee. So sometimes you'll see, even in the Christian, uh, culture, you'll see like a celebration, um, that they'll do like an outreach and it's called like, you know, Jubilee, uh, kickoff or something. Yeah. And it's the idea of uh, the freedom from our debts. Yeah, so compared to what was happening in the United States, among the transatlantic slave trade and the trans-Saharan slave trade, all of these things that were taking place in our history, these people were bought as chattel slaves. Right, that they so were, different. Yeah, not given any human right. rights, not given any prospect of freedom. Their descendants would be slaves. It's just a social standing they were. Yeah, and the neat thing, that's the neat thing about the Old Testament, right? And uh, I know when I was reading it at 17, I found it fascinating. Like, wow, man, if you fell into hard times, you could like literally like start working for someone. Yeah, like the the classic image of washing the dishes to pay off your meal only it would be for your credit card debt. Yeah, and and you just kind of worked until that, you know, uh, some kind of year celebration of freedom and then you would be released to your debt. Yeah, all land that was sold returned back to their families, and this would be something done every seven, seven years in order to show that the God of Israel had an idea of not holding people to debts long term. But I'm sure a lot of people would appreciate that the IRS would do that if they (laughs) owed a lot of back taxes. Instead of sending them to prison, just kind of go work for the government or or work for the public good kind of like uh, some sort of restitution, but nope, they'll just throw you in jail. <laughs> or if you could assume at one point in their lifetime, maybe two if they eat right, they <clears throat> would have all those debts forgiven. That would be a cause for celebration or jubilee. That's what the word means. Mm. So when you hear Juneteenth, um, it's an American holiday, not a pagan one, nothing to do with the summer solstice or anything like that. The reason why people are getting hot and bothered by it is because it tends to draw attention to issues that have been all but resolved in our culture today, but they're trying to revisit them in order to victimize themselves. Now, when it comes to issues of social justice, Bo, you'd be the first to agree with me. Not all of them are resolved, but this isn't one of them in the United States. We want to deal with, say, for instance, sex trafficking to the cartel. That's an issue of slavery that needs to be addressed. When you talk about, uh, for instance, the 
debt slavery that college students are put into, that can be addressed. But when it comes to race-based chattel slavery, unless you're in Libya or a Muslim-majority country, that's not an issue in the United States that needs to be revisited. Now, the intention of people who are on the plus side of this holiday are saying, well, we're celebrating it like we would Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Mm. Well, all well and good. Just be very careful when we're noting not just why something's remembered, but in what way it's remembered. And uh, as you can see with especially some of the uh, states up in the north and far west, people are celebrated in some very criminal ways. So we need to be aware of that as well. <coughs> but just note what Jubilee is all about and uh, the misrepresentation, unless you're going to say, well, one involves slavery, the others involve slavery. Therefore, they're both involving Jubilee. No, make sure that you look up the references and you'll be fine. Yeah. So Jubilee, Jewish celebration. Every it was every 50 years, huh? 50 yep. years. The 49, debts seven by seven years, then the 50th <clears throat> year would be a double <clears throat> Sabbath, and the all debts would be forgiven. So all bond servants, which again is not a slave in the modern day vernacular, like a chattel, like, why did you word that, Sean? Chattel? Yeah. yeah. Cat chattels. Uh, but someone who owed a debt and needed to pay it off by working. Uh, indentured servitude. But they, um, once their debt was paid, they were, of course, allowed to go free. So that's really yeah. And important. I think I think it's good to mention though that Jesus is is definitely our fulfillment of the jubilee, um, and uh, that's important <clears throat> to know that our debt has been mm. paid, and yeah. uh, we, in a sense, are liberated. And so when you yeah. see these terms being used in the New Testament, uh, like liberation, uh, like freedom. You know, those are big jubilee words, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I like how <clears throat> in the New Testament vernacular, some would choose to be a bond slave of Christ. The idea that the a servant who was indentured servitude, once their debt was paid, could say, gosh, I love this life, and it happened often. Exodus 21. I love this life so much that they would take a ring, a gold ring, and put it in their, they would pierce their ear as an earring saying, I am willfully choosing to continue working this job, living this life under these people because they take good care of me, they love me, I'm part of the fit, whatever, however that process of thinking would go, but they would be a bondservant. And the Apostle Paul often referred to himself using that language, I'm a bond slave or bondservant of Christ, meaning that I willfully lay down my life for Jesus because he laid his down his life first for me, and now I'm wearing the hypothetical ring in service to the Lord. Yep, and if you want to look up the passage, it's in Leviticus 25. <clears throat> Sean. <clears throat> oh boy. Are there more demons, are there more angels than demons? Will there be more people in heaven than in hell? Jack wants to know. Okay, 443 angels. No, I'm just okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, that That's written uh, in uh, Second Illusions. <laughs> Second I think. Illusions, chapter two. You know um, that one. I do. <laughs> uh, Revelation 12 is fairly straightforward. Uh, what a demon is, it just means an adversary or an enemy, mm -hmm. but it's a fallen angel. So if mm -hmm. we're going with the sum total, if I keep my fractions together, Revelation 12, we're told war broke out in heaven, not a specific section of it all of it and the entities the angelic messengers that's what angel means i'm being redundant but a third of the angels joined with the dragon who's explained in that chapter to be the devil satan and 
he fought with Michael, the chief prince or archangel, and his angels fought. So again, remembering fractions, we have two thirds who stood on the side of Michael and one third that stood on the side of Lucifer. Siding with Lucifer would be a status of not goodness. So fallen angels would constitute a third of the angels in heaven, since the two to one ratio would mean that there are more angels than yes to that answer. But the second part of the question is also significant. Are there more people in heaven than in hell? We aren't given any fractions to describe that, but we are told a general principle in the Gospels where Jesus says, broad is the way and uh, uh, easy is the path. I'm trying to remember the word he used that leads to destruction and right. many go there and by. But Jesus says, but straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to life and few are those who go and by. So instead of fractions like we're told in Revelation chapter 12 where we have two righteous angels for every one demon we are told that the majority of people are going to go their own way as far as their relationship with God and the reason is obviously going to vary from person to person but the principle is in the context that Jesus made that statement not all are willing to come to me through me and noting that is the way to heaven. Obviously, people can say that they're good enough or just as good as Jesus' righteousness. They can diminish God or exalt themselves. But when push comes to shove, most people would rather default to their own faculties, their own confidence, because they've learned to trust themselves in getting them through life this far. But the reality is that most people will stand before God and find that account wanting. Bo, Adrian, and I are among many who are thankful for the fact that we can't stand before God righteous, that we acknowledge God is holy and we are anything but, and that apart from his mercy, we have no hope. And that's the way to eternal life. So even if it's the majority statistic, you don't have to fall into it. <clears throat> Indeed. You want to add anything to that, Bo? No, that was good. I, I, um you know, that was, that was good. So we know we basically got one-third is demons, mm -hmm. two-thirds angels. Or righteous spiritual beings, yeah. Okay, yeah, because we, you know, because then Jack might want to be interested in these other creatures that are in the Bible. Um, you know, there are that those seraphim, and there's there are... The burning ones? Yeah, cherubim. The blessings. Yeah, and... Uh, 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 maybe if, you, if you're looking for a number, um, just probably in a modest hint, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Peter cuts uh, Malachus's ear off trying to defend him, and yeah. Peter says, enough with that, uh, Jesus makes a, kind of an offhand mention that I can say one word to my father, and he would send down 12 legions of angels to deliver me, but this must happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. So 12 legions mathematically a Roman legion in the context that was written is around three to five thousand soldiers and if we multiply that by 12 we've got a, a couple lot. hundred thousand so if you're gonna note at the time Jesus was speaking this the line between angel and demon was pretty well spelled out multiply that by a third and then tack yeah. that onto your starting number that would be the total number of spiritual yeah. entities since I don't think God would send spiritual emissaries it's like well I think I can yeah. you know designate this group of troops now you got mm -hmm. God the son in yeah. trouble and out of necessity like sending the whole pack around right? 360 to 510 thousand angels yeah and you can again take that as guesswork <clears throat> Jesus may have been hyperbolic may have been literal the point of emphasis was 
first of all, if you read John chapter 18, I can take care of myself. You reminded the mob that was arresting him of that. But the point was being made, if Jesus had charge over the armies of heaven, as we read in the book of Joshua, then that would probably be it. And a third of those total number would be fallen. So you can do the math. But that's, uh, that's what we can know about the spiritual realm. That's pretty awesome. Well, great. Thank you, Sean. Um, <clears throat> we'll put that in the knowledge base. Yeah, Brains, yeah. We're gonna have to total. We're gonna have to do the totals though, and like come up with the totals. Mm. So the next question we get on this subject, we can go. Oh, <clears throat> it's four hundred and fifty-two thousand six hundred twenty-nine. You know, something at cool least, like that. At least as of yesterday, who knows what happened today? <laughs> There's all kinds of wars going on. Well, I'd hesitate because you know someone out there is going to go, okay, so you count up these numbers into days, and then you add that to the day of Jesus' crucifixion, and then we got another false rapture prediction. So. And then you got a cool blood moon in there, throw <laughs> one of those in there. <laughs> no, Makes no you more. wonder if there are casualties in this heavenly war. Yeah, you know? totally. <laughs> well, let's, it's a nice uh, painting, but no. <laughs> Uh, this is from David, um, and this is, I think, an email question. I have heard the question on a separate podcast asked a few times, questioning if the issue we are seeing culturally today can be traced back to the Protestant Reformation. I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on this. I am not really sure how people make the connection that this historical event that occurred prior to the U.S. being formed has also led to the problems we see today. Now, David doesn't mention those problems, but I'll continue going on, is that Pastor Peter had been discussing this in the past during the philosophers' briefs, um, really been mainstream, how philosophers have really been mainstream in today's culture. So I know past events can make impacts on society, but today, uh, today, but not making the connection on the Protestant Reformation. Uh, so is there a connection between the, st the status of American culture wars and the Protestant Reformation. Is there any kind of carryover of thinking in influence of the Western mind that it's made us uh, be who we are today? <laughs> You'd have to be more specific, because if you've been through Peter Martin's analysis of philosophers, the jump from guys like, you know, Monet, Marx, and stuff, we've passed the Protestant Reformation, and his choices and in intentionally citing out these individuals in the order that they were speaking was, in fact, intentional. So if we're going to ask Monet the was question... was a painter. Yeah. Okay. But uh, the, the, the point that's being made when we're asking about how early ideas have later consequences, again, uh, there's a lot of accusations and saying, you know, all the transvestitism and all these, uh, you know, uh, racial justice groups and so forth that has its origins in Christianity and so Christianity or Protestantism Roman Catholics would say uh, is to cause for all of society's ills well you'd have to show first off quote by quote chapter and verse and then show the trail of thought in order to verify that I can't there are obviously some bad ideas that the reformers have but the reason we call them reformers isn't because we agree with every idea they had but the one good one that produced what we call today radical christianity you think of radical as you know go out and uh, you know stab some swedish girl in the stomach or something <clears throat> but no when we're talking about radical it means to the roots a reformation is literally that going back to the foundations mm -hmm. and so martin luther among many people he wasn't the only one were looking at scripture and looking at the edicts that were passed by what counted as the Roman government at that time, the universal or Catholic church. They were 
coming to decisions that you could take or leave legally, that they were performing as a governing body, things like taxes in the form of indulgences, for instance, mm -hmm. and saying, well, you call yourself a church, not a government, you kind of have to pick. So why don't we make a point of emphasis in saying, let's deal with these things. Where is the line between government and church? That's what the 95 Theses were, not a separation per se from the church and his followers, but him as a Catholic monk wanting to encourage public dialogue, debate, and even um, alterations to policy on these sort of issues. It'd be like us going to a town hall meeting, but in medieval Europe. And of course, uh, the people who were accustomed to power weren't too keen on that. The Diet of Worms eventually happened, and Luther simply said, here I stand, I can go no farther. God plus one is a majority. And God, he had reason to believe God was on his side because, you know, his word and all. But that was essentially the cry of the Reformation, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola mm -hmm. deus gloria. Um, what was the other one? Um, we'll, we'll note another Latin term. Grace alone. Uh, sola gracia, thank you. Um, so all those things were them asking, where are these doctrines like purgatory, indulgences, and all these other things? Again, fine if you're trying to emphasize a government position, but that wasn't what the church was doing at the time. They were asking these questions. So asking questions in a society, I don't think necessarily introduces problems. You have problem people who ask dumb questions and get even worse answers, but that's the fault of the questioner, not the mm -hmm. person who thought of the idea of asking good questions. There are good people who have asked good questions and produced good results too. They don't get any credit for that now, do they? So. Yeah, when it comes to the Protestant Reformation, obviously atrocities happened. Uh, uh, John Calvin, for instance, uh, drowned a group of people who weren't willing to be baptized, so he really <laughs> baptized them. The Lutherans, uh, the Lutherans weren't very nice either. <laughs> no, they hated Jewish people, and uh, some of their policies were basically just Roman Catholic light. But mm -hmm. the ideas behind the Reformation were just that, is point an emphasis back to Scripture. Do we say these <clears throat> men were infallible, new prophets, perfect? Mm -hmm some weirdo might, but that wasn't their point. There's, there's no question that the Reformation had a tremendous influence on the founding of our fathers, of the founding fathers of the United States, in that <clears throat> you, because they were all Protestants. Yeah. So you have this, this really interesting marriage between the papal succession and the kings, and now you have an English common law and a secularized-ish government, not secular, but secularized in the sense that no centralized government could institute a church and that was one of the big principles of our founding fathers is that we don't want the government to dictate a state church however uh, there was a religious people and so i would say that if anything our current conundrum is how much secularization was allowed to uh, flourish in the name of freedom or almost like almost at the at the oppression of religious freedom you know we're not supposed to the state's not supposed to um, found a church but it wasn't supposed to prevent people from the free exercise thereof so when they decided to take prayer out of schools the Ten Commandments out of schools where people weren't able to express their Christian identity in public places or in public schools especially unless you're Muslim <laughs> um, that was in direct conflict to the Founding Fathers' intent. Yeah. However, because of that history, there could be a link between the idea of separation in church and state that could go all the way back to the Reformation, just because the idea that the the pay, the, popal success, the, the Pope 
should not be connected to even the denial of this person who is like the ultimate mediator between humanity and uh, between humanity and God yeah, or the church. The, the mistake people make, though, even with that statement, the separation of church and state, is they emphasize the state shouldn't be influenced by religion, where the people who founded that quote, the person himself, in fact, said that this law, this governance that we're founding is only fit for religious people. It can govern no other. And he was specifically yeah. talking about Christianity. But if we inverse that and say, no, we need the, the religion out of the government. We need no guiding ethics, no ultimate standard or principle. Then you put yourself in the place we find today, and generally an inversion isn't inspiration. But if on and the I wouldn't hand, fault yeah. the Reformation for that. <laughs> yeah. But if on the other hand you're to say, well, well, no, we need to be able to determine not only our own religious standings, but have the freedom separate from mm. government, you could say freedom of choice is freedom to make a mistake. But the fact that people could make a mistake is no more a reason to say they're at fault than for the individual to say it's society's fault. Video games made me do it, right? Yeah, I love this question. This is a, a, a very big topic. Um, you could talk about this topic for a long, long time. You could actually do a class in a college on how the Re Reformation has shaped America today. One of the big things I will just point out is um, is that you know the Reformation went from state control, uh, you know, religious state power to the idea of individualistic power, and this is this is what has infiltrated the United States of America on a foundational level is that that the individual is worth something and and he's he or she or it is worth something regardless of how the state defines that person so it's not in the old days with state control you, you are a number you are just a number in the system of the state but in during the reformation they started moving away. It really, uh, there was a lot of economic issues going on during the Reformation as well that was moving towards individualism. And, and so you had this move in the Reformation of taking power out of the, the, the hegemonical structure, you know, and now the Reformation is saying, no, you are, you are worth something in the eyes of God as a peasant. And this is how it works, is even the Reformation influenced education and how education was to happen, where when you had state control, the state would rule how people or who would be educated. Mm -hmm. But now when you have an individualistic philosophy on the scene, right, where you're starting to think, oh, well, now it's vital, you're vital. It doesn't matter if you're milking the cow or you're in that giant palace. You know, you have individual power mm. and and a right, you and, know. And that was expressed through the idea that every man or woman should have access to a common language copy of the Bible. Of the Bible. That's right. Isn't that cool? And that's how kids were educated, was the, the scriptures were used as a text to teach school children. Which was odd in the old world, where state control would be like, no, 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 no. The state determines who is going to be the educated class and who's not going to be the educated class. You had a full oligarchical system, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so... 
you know, if you look up the philosophy of individualism, you'll find those that really practice that and, and develop that kind of philosophy. But the Reformation took Christianity back, it reformed it back to its original idea of the individual before God was vital, made in the image of God, valuable, no matter who they were, no matter what the economic situation was, and that they deserved to hear the word of God. Mm. They deserved to know what the Bible had to say. Mm. And so you see that permeate in the United States, this kind of individualistic culture. So we still have it today, even though we do see hints of state control and power, especially you know what we saw through the COVID years, mm. where you see incredible power structures, uh, in a sense, throwing down the gauntlet on some things, right? And affecting many people's lives, and um, and and that's that, that that probably shocked a lot of people because the reason why is because we're, a lot, we're very individualistic now, um, and we're so used to having what we thought was freedom rights, and that if yeah. I if I want to do said activity and it's going to be maybe harmful for me, well that's up to me to make that decision, you know. So, yeah. but now the government's saying, well yeah, but your decision might kind of hurt someone else so therefore we can't even let you go even think about it <laughs> yeah you think about the uh, can't even go to a park you think about the <laughs> reformation and that idea of individualism and you know worthiness is mm. you're worthy you have the ability to make money everybody does so it's not just you know the intellectual people of the world the educated but everybody has mm. the ability to move on i think peter martin did a talk on uh, capitalism the other day uh which was great you might want to check that out jack but um you know wh which is very powerful you know that idea of like you as an individual whoever you are have the ability uh you know it's not something where you have to go to a state uh, controlled place and go hey i want to do this and they go mm, no <laughs> you know that would mm. be a bummer but anyway, so... Yeah, uh, if you want to read more about this, maybe from a broader historical view, um, Tom Holland's book, Dominion, discusses the early and uh, Middle Ages history of the Byzantine Empire and the Church, and you want to see how that was good in some ways, negative in others. He gives a fairly comprehensive view. Uh, Robert Spencer, who's a fantastic resource, is going to be producing a book later this year, around December-ish, uh, 2023, for those listening in the bygone years, um, where it's going to talk more about the Orthodox Church in particular and the things that they upheld and the things that they had to deal with in the face of the Ottoman onslaught. But you want to just take this all into consideration, note the thought process. When Peter was discussing Marxism and how that's influencing thought today, he took quotes from Marx and noted it being repeated and lived out by people today. If you see a problem in particular that's being blamed on Protestantism, follow the same formula. Take the quote, show it being quoted and lived out, not broadly demonized or strawmanned. Yeah. The only, you know, most people don't in the, in the Christian church kind of steer clear of uh, church history books because they're kind of fearful, right? You look at a church history book and you're like, oh my gosh, that's as big as the Bible. <laughs> you yeah, know? A little bit bigger. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Bruce Shelley wrote uh, Church History in Plain Language. Mm -hmm. Church History in Plain Language, Bruce Shelley. And uh, it is a very beautifully simple read. So, yeah, very, he, he definitely puts the cookies 
right there. It may be on the second shelf. Second shelf, but it's it's really good. Very history and plain language. Plain language. Yep. Yeah, you can pull it up. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Pastor Bo. What? (laughs) The definition of a Christian is Uh Christ in one. The moment that a person, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, comes to the place where they recognize that they are utterly sinful and lost and separated from God, and because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, proving his claims of being deity uh, by rising back from the dead, that those would have faith in him would have eternal life. Amen. And he enacted this, or the, the proof, I should say, the deposit that we're given, demonstrating to us as believers that we belong to him is the gift of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians where we are, the Holy Spirit literally takes residence in our, in our lives, <clears throat> and yeah. we are what Jesus described as being born again. Okay. Flesh gives birth to flesh, meaning we are all been born physically, yeah. but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So, that being said, yeah. <clears throat> the crystal's killing me. I know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Sean, I'm passing this on to you. <laughs> we have this divine person, the second person of the Trinity, living inside of us. Crystal yeah. Coyote wants to know how are we led by the Spirit? Oh, man. That's a good passage of scripture. Let's go to the book of Galatians, because um, that's kind of what he's referring to. So if we go to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, let me get it over there. Okay, so uh, let's see. So verse 25 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And that's kind of the idea. So let's back up, though, just a little bit, right? So he says, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Got it. Walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Um you know, how does the Spirit lead us? The Spirit leads us, obviously, through away his... Away from the flesh. Yes, away from the flesh. Or contrary to the flesh. Yeah, and, and how do we know the direction of it? Uh, you know, where to go, where the path is, what, you know, it's the Word of God. So we need to listen to this. It says, for the flesh lust against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Ooh, that's good. Okay, so for led by the Spirit, which is very similar to walking in the Spirit, right? Because he says walk in the Spirit in verse 16, and he says being led by the Spirit in verse 18. So we know that these are very similar, and uh, and that Paul is just giving us a wonderful, hey, let's walk, let's be led. You know, the idea of, you know, you know, walking down a path, being led down a, a way. Well, you know, we're not under the law. We're not, we're not, you know, you know, hand clenched going, I'm going to obey the law. I'm going to obey the law. I'm going to obey the law. No, we're being led. We're walking. I mean, cool, cool ideas. Reminds me of a very Old Testament passage where it says that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day, you know, but this, it's a really contrast to, you know, this idea of, you know, being under the law and the stress of trying to obey the law, just being led. It sounds so cool, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Jesus saying, just abide in me, man. You know, <laughs> just, you know, hang out with me. You know, a very cool contrast mm-hmm. to the weight of going, am I obeying the law? Am I obeying the law? But those who are led by the Spirit are not under the law, it says, 
And it says, now the works of the flesh are evident. So now he gets more specific, okay? The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, as I told you in the past times, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yikes, right? We look at that list and we go, boy. My name fits in some of those. <laughs> yeah, that's mm. right. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, now we get into walking, lead, being led, and now we see this pop, right? What naturally comes out of Naturally coming out of us, right, is this spirit of love, and then it goes into a list. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, or it says, against such there is no law. Mm. So being led by the Spirit is this idea of, in a sense, you know, being like Christ, you know, having a life that is a, uh, that emulates the love of Jesus Christ um, in your life. You know, if someone says, hey, I'm led by the Spirit, but they're a jerk, uh, you know, but they go, man, they, they, they're a super biblically knowledged jerk, um, I would, you know <laughs> what I mean? That's a new one. I I'm going to have to write that one down. <laughs> you a know, biblically knowledge jerk. <laughs> yeah. But I would say, well, you're not, you're not really being led. Yeah, you have a knowledge, a lot of knowledge, and knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Hmm. You know, and if we're walking in the spirit of Christ and we're being led by the spirit of Christ, then he's leading us to the ways of Jesus. And the hmm. ways of Jesus is this way of love, and it's the way of joy, and it's the way of <clears throat> peace and patience and kindness self-control, all these things. So I know when I'm in the flesh, I have a wonderful um, measuring stick I can look at and go, ooh, that wasn't very self-control of me, you know? And I can go, wow, you know, the fruit of the Spirit mm -hmm. is, is self-control. Was I really, what was really leading me? You know, was it my fleshly appetites for something? Or was, you know, was I really being led was I listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit that was saying, hey, no, you know, mm. move away from that, you know, go a different direction, you know, uh, that kind of idea. So it's like, it's like someone grabbing your hand, you know, and you, know, you, you following, you mm. know, and, and are we following the life of Christ? And that's a big question because uh, we see a lot of failure in our lives in that, in that way. So um, mm. that's how I would answer <clears throat> that question. You have anything, Sean, with that? Yeah, again, you drew attention to Galatians because that's where that quote came from. Always a great place to start. Yep. The whole book is an example of being led by the Spirit and away from what was the intention of that book to address the Galatian heresy, the belief that I have to obey Jewish customs and laws in order to believe in the Jewish Messiah. You see the same thing at work today in legalism. It's not what Christ has done for me, but what I do for him that gives me my identity in Christ. That's, of course, an error. So if we want to be led by the law, you better keep it perfectly. It depends on you. You want to be led by the Spirit, the book's second half is all about that. So start with the book. Uh, a good contrast to it is Romans 7 and noting the tension of being in two kingdoms at once. What you want to know about the Holy Spirit, and I just, I got to say this, my favorite member of the Trinity because he's the one who's most personally and directly a part of our lives than any other to this day. And when it comes to our relationship with him, my father usually lays it out in three ways. Everyone who has breath 
in this world interacts with the Holy Spirit in this first way, which is to be with you, that the Holy Spirit is with us, that he's convicting, John chapter 16 says, of sin, righteousness, and judgment, the fact that we need a Savior, what we need saving from, and where we find that salvation, the fact that you have breath, Job chapter 33 notes is a thanks to the Holy Spirit preserving you and so forth. But this presence of the Holy Spirit is that being made aware of your need of salvation. The second relationship we have with the Holy Spirit is him being in us. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27 notes that it's that Christ in you, that's the hope of glory, that the Spirit who is in you, which also raised Jesus from the dead, will also raise your um, dead bodies to life and so mm -hmm. forth. That's in the book of Ephesians 5. So when we're talking about this salvation relationship, when I receive the Holy Spirit, that starts according to 1 Corinthians 12, 3, the moment that I start trusting him, the moment he leads me to a saving relationship, he draws me into that relationship with him. The Christian life, being led by the Spirit, is what we called coming upon you, what Jesus promised to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And he made this point in order to make them understand, don't do anything, don't work for anything, don't try to accomplish anything until you're given power from on high. And this pouring out of the Spirit would be something so radical. Uh, Peter quotes the book of Joel in just describing this downpour like a summer monsoon rain, which I'm hoping we'll experience in the next couple minutes or so. But the point of emphasis is just that, that the Holy Spirit is equipping us with ministries. You can read about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of our understanding of our relationship with God. You can read that in Romans chapter 8. And even is before the Father praying for us in ways that we can't even express and that he can't either. So noting being led by the Spirit is, as Bo said, maintaining a connection with God and going where he leads, testing where he's going with God, which as Bo said is through his word, but understanding and recognizing him as he described he would is with that constant drawing and attention to Jesus. And the more opportunities you have to see him basically make you like Jesus by accident, the more you're going to find it's by instinct. You don't have to consciously do it. Just abide in me, Jesus said, and you'll bear much fruit. Be with Jesus and uh, where he finds you. Get caught acting like him, and you'll be surprised how much you have to answer for when all is said and done. Yeah, in recovery circles, um, you know, the answer to the how, how are we led, um, uh, sometimes the how is like... Um, I would answer that like willingness. Like if I had a word, you know, just one word, it would yeah. be willingness. You know, are you willing? Mm. Um, you know, and sometimes willingness will crack the door uh, in your life mm. to a whole new world. You know, just a little bit of, hey, I'm, I'm willing to go there. I love that word. I use it when I teach the spirit-filled life concepts, those spiritual concepts of it starts with three things. A willingness to agree with God about any sin in your life, a willingness to allow the Holy Spirit to work unhindered, and a willingness to agree with God that he will bear fruit in your life in doing those first two. Mm, that's cool. But yeah. It starts with that idea of willingness. willingness. That, that's that the difference the between door, man. someone who has a grieved or quenched Holy Spirit versus someone who is living the Spirit-filled life. That's right. Yeah, there's some things in the Christian <clears> life <throat> we're not too willing. A few passages came <laughs> to mind. I don't know. Do we have time to share these? Yeah. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 8 and verses 12, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Uh, 
not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears visible with our spirit that we are children of God. And that, that's that internal inner voice of confirmation that you belong to God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. So there's this idea that those who are led by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. <clears throat> now go to Romans 12, uh, I and this is verse, uh, verse 1, same book, chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Now, <clears throat> take a moment to go and read the Gospel of John, chapter 15. If you were to summarize in steps the idea of how do we renew our mind? If renewing our mind is what we're being told here in chapter 12 and chapter 8, those who uh, are led by the Spirit are the ones who put to death the deeds of the body, as Galatians describes the contrast between the deeds of the flesh and the deeds of the Spirit. I would argue that <clears throat> looking at John 15, Jesus essentially says that if you want to bear fruit, first you have to know him. The more you know me, Jesus says, the more you love me. He says, those who love me will obey me. So if you want to obey Jesus, you have to love him more. How do you love him more? You got to know him more. So the more you love him, the more you obey him, the more you obey him, the more fruit you bear. But it starts with that knowledge. The more you know him, you are renewing your mind. You're not going to be conformed to this, the image of this world, but be re by the renewing of your mind. How do we do that? The Holy Spirit will only lead you to truths that are revealed in God's word. So the more we are in scripture, the more we understand God's word, that enables us to be led by the Spirit. Correct. And yeah. thus, renew our minds, put death to deeds of the body, and then again, confirm over and over again that we are indeed children of God. Right on, man. Boop, period, the end, <laughs> drop, mic drop. <laughs> okay, next question. Sean. Uh, Sean, I was actually gonna give this to Sean because I know that Sean really loves studying uh, world religions, as do I. Oh boy. But this is a group that I've not really spent a lot of time reading about, mm -hmm. just a little, and I've had conversations with some. But um, are the Amish, would you consider the Amish born-again Christians, or are they some kind of uh, cult? Um, this is a question from, all right, sorry to put Roger. you on the spot, uh, from Roger. So Roger wants to know, I know someone who is Amish. Why should I share the gospel with them? Are they born again or a cult? So that's a good question. If they're Amish and they're Christians, then we, we wouldn't share the gospel with them. We would just have fellowship and have differences. But, but if it's not a Orthodox Christian faith where the doctrines of the Amish people do not <laughs> lend themselves to be saved, then uh, should we treat that as like another religion or a cult or something like that? 
No, no. Uh, it's like saying, well, is that American, a born-again Christian? It's a set of community values. What generally, as far as Christian groups are concerned in the Amish community, generally are Puritans or Mennonites or something close to that. Um, like any Christian denomination that impacts their community and brings with it that kind of Dwight Schrute lifestyle, if you watch The <laughs> Office, it's a lot more overplayed in media than it sounds. Uh, I think the best representation of them was in that old Slim Jim commercial where he picks mm -hmm. up those two guys on the road and he says, what's life without the internet? And he says, it's okay. I just get pictures of your mom through the mail. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they make jokes. Sometimes they live their lives the way they do. They have a set of values that they're born and raised in. But just like they would maybe look at us and say, oh, that Christian has the internet. He looks at porn maybe, but you can't make that assumption. Mm -hmm. Well, that Christian, well, he's an American and he lives this debased and greed-filled lifestyle. I don't deny I struggle with that, but it doesn't mean necessarily that mm -hmm. I fall into it. Where people would usually find fault with Mennonites and Puritans and so forth is that they do have a bent towards legalism because mm -hmm. there's an expectation to uphold these community values, but that's no more a fault than any other value. Right. It's the attitude you bring to it. So address it on a person-by-person -person basis. Make sure that you're asking the right questions, because like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, they can twist words around in ways that, not mm -hmm. that they do that intentionally, they're not a cult per se, but that they understand what you mean when you're using these terms. As long as they affirm the Trinity, grace by faith, the nature of Scripture, and the nature of the Trinity, and of course the deity of Christ, then they're a brother just like you and me. You don't have to worry about that. Mm. But if they do compromise on those values, then treat them like you would anyone else anywhere else. They just come from that particular background. Yeah, you can treat a lot of the differences as kind of eating meat issues. Uh, yeah. But thank you, Sean, and thank you for your questions today. We'll be here the same place, same time tomorrow. Thanks for joining us, and God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.